The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Thank you so much for joining us on Afternoons with Mike. I've got with me today a first-timer on the program. Tina Yeager is a speaker. She's a therapist, what is called a purpose coach. I'm going to delve more into that in just a little bit. She hosts a podcast called the Flourish Mint Podcast and Flourish Today radio show. So that's pretty exciting. She serves on the the board uh, as a director, a membership director for the Christian Women in Media Association. So this this is a one uh, busy lady, and she's also kind of uh, recently moved away from the Central Florida area. So all of that makes for a very interesting uh, chat here today with Tina Yeager. Welcome, Tina. Thank you, Mike. I'm excited to talk with you and uh, share with your listeners about writing, speaking, broadcasting, and purpose coaching. Yeah, you've done, you've got quite a resume going on right there, and they're all kind of, in some ways, I know there's a related nature to them all, and the way you draw them together in both your broadcast show as well as your podcast, but they some people would look at that and, and they would say, now, You've branched out in a couple of different directions, and you know you've gone far, pretty far in, in those directions as in terms of your involvement and in terms of your writing. Uh, how did you, and what caused you to get into all this? Well, as we know in the church, the answer is always, this is where God puts my feet, and I take the next step that he puts before me. Each part of this journey is just God leading one more step one more step, one more step. We never see the whole road ahead of us. I think we would quit if we saw the whole road ahead of us at any point. Mm-hmm. So God just lays out the next step, and you take that step in obedience, and then he leads you on in the next step thereafter. So that's kind of where that goes. You know, that's really a great way to explain it, Tina. We don't see the whole road ahead of us. And I think a lot of us spend much of our life wanting to and somehow expecting to. But when you realize that God just never gives us that kind of vista, that kind of viewpoint where we, we know the, the end from the beginning. We just don't, and we won't. It, it's so much better, isn't it, when people kind of get that in their mind and actually start living that way? It is, and I am constantly in that process of reminding myself that God is the one who knows the future, and I need to learn more every day to trust Him better with where I'm at and the next step that He's already got for me. I don't have to know everything, and I love knowing everything. I'm like everybody else. I like knowing the whole picture. Oh, yeah. At least I think I do, but if I really did, I would probably chicken out, so... Tina, tell us a little bit about your faith walk, and were you raised in a Christian home, and how how did all of that come about? I actually was raised in a Christian, Christian home, and I'm very grateful for the wonderful parents that raised me. My father later became a pastor, although he wasn't one when I was growing up. He became one after going to a Promise Keepers conference, if you remember those way oh, back yeah. when. Yeah, and he actually attended with my husband the year that God called him into full-time 
ministry, and he's now retired as a person who does, you know, what retired pastors do. They never retire, as you personally know. (laughs) He is now doing prison ministry and uh, ministry with the fire department as a chaplain and first responders, debriefing, and all of those good things. So he actually was the one who taught me the Lord's Prayer growing up. I do remember having such a strong sense of who Jesus was all through my childhood, and I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. I was always alone. I was always left out. I was always the outcast. But the great thing about having been raised in a Christian home was that I knew that Jesus was my friend. And when I was alone, I would walk with him and I would reach out into the air beside me and close my hand and imagine that I was holding Jesus' hand and just walk and talk and pray with him as a young child and as a teenager. And that was a really helpful part of my faith journey that helped ground me in understanding what I would later use to reach out to women and help reassure them that your identity and your self-esteem can come from nowhere else other than the one who loves you most. I'm very moved by what you said was your experience about feeling like an outcast. What aspect of life or what aspect about your environment made you have that sense that you did not fit in? I was the egg-headed teacher's pet kid that just always got called on to answer the questions. And that sounds like a good thing to be the top of the class, except that all the other kids hate you and you don't really quite meld with what their interests are. So it does sort of set you in a place where you feel unloved and unlovable by your peers, even though it's a good thing to have to learn to read at three years old and to be ahead of everybody in school. At the same time, it's also very isolating. Ah, yeah. And and that obviously, and, and some people, it manifests differently. How did that manifest to you when you felt that aloneness, that isolation? What What happened in you? I did feel a sense of low self-esteem growing up, even though I knew Jesus was my friend and he gave me my name. There is no way of getting completely away from feeling down on yourself when the other kids around you don't like you and you don't feel accepted and you don't have a good peer group supporting you. That is kind of an essential part of growing up and your development as a child into a full human being someday, and it does affect you. So that was part of my struggle moving forward as a teenager and a young adult, and it did eventually cause a lot of internal and emotional struggle for me that later transformed translated into how I had compassion for other people Mm -hmm. who struggled with the kinds of things I did, like eating disorders, low self-esteem, choosing all the wrong things to try to fit in, and all of those things where I did get away from the good things I already knew and should have known better not to do when I was growing up and friends with Jesus. I, I did make a turn in the wrong direction trying to fit in with other kids. You know, I remember people that are my age, they they first heard this term eating disorder probably around the time of Karen Carpenter's death. I mean, that was a shock to so many people because they never could even, number one, understand it. Number two, most people couldn't relate to what it would be like to be at her level of notoriety 
and yet obviously her level of pain that she was going through but her eating disorder became an all-consuming thing uh, and that can happen with this right yes it can i remember knowing how many calories i'd eaten at any point during the day i actually was always trying to eat less than 800 calories for a period of time, which is considered fasting, and then over-exercising on top of that. So it's consuming. It makes you decide what you're going to do, where you're going to go, what you're going to eat, and it even affects your attention, your ability to focus, because you're not consuming enough calories to be able to run your brain. So there's a lot of things that go into that. And it also consumes your mindset about yourself and your relationships with other people. If you're constantly seeking approval from others, which I think was part of the issue with Karen Carpenter as well, you're never going to get that. It's like drinking salt water. You're going to be thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. The more you try to drink, the more thirsty you become for approval. Mm-hmm. And human beings are not built to give us the approval that we need. You know, that's right. I love that old phrase that says there's a God-shaped void in us all. And we try to fill that shape. We try to fill it with acceptance or love or adventure for guys. That's something that a lot of guys will try to do. Th- just go out, have fun. And, and that doesn't work either because we can't still that voice that we wake up with in our mind every day. And, and we're seeing in this day and age, in, in today's culture, a, a shocking rise in young people suicide. It's like the number one cause of death in a certain age group. And it, they're experiencing much of the same kind of stress and maybe isolation that did you experience when you were growing up. I think even more so, Mike, today kids are seeing on the Internet everyone's Pinterest perfect and comparing their worst day to other people's best days, and they begin to feel that they're not good enough as soon as they open their phone, and they're attached to that constant message of needing to measure up to something impossible, needing to be approved of by thousands of people that we would never in previous decades have expected to get approval from. So I think it's even worse, and that sense of isolation has increased because we're not connecting with people in person the way that we used to. Yeah, it's that lack of a human touch. Yes, absolutely. People are behind the screen and they're not interacting the same way they would if they were in person. What advice do you have as someone that goes to audiences all over the place and you speak on your radio cast? What do you uh, what do you suggest? Would you be one of those that would encourage parents to limit or certainly monitor, but maybe limit uh, screen time and maybe even access to screens? in their young people? Depends on the age, of course, where you want to start that conflict happening. If an older teenager, obviously that is not going to be a practical thing to try to do. But for younger children, there's no need for them to be connecting with other children through screens. They should be interacting in person. For older kids and teenagers, instead of fighting with them, you could instead encourage them to create activities like scavenger hunts and things they can do in person and connect on a real level with other people. Mm. 
Now, when you're out and you speak to as many people as you do and you hear the stories on your podcast and radio show, are you finding yourself hopeful today with the, the current trends that our young people in the church are taking? Or do you feel like we've bottomed out yet? Do you feel like we're going down yet? Well, in Christ, there's always hope. And we do see stories of devastation, of rising anxiety, rising depression, side rates rising, but at the same time, we're also seeing revival. So we need to focus on what is working in the kingdom of God and put our energy toward that instead of getting sucked into the enemy's traps of fear and despair. Mm-hmm. As parents and as church members, we can be part of the solution. For the kids that are uh, there today, and I know we've got the ear right now of parents and grandparents who might be listening to this program today on the on the air, and they know their own grandchild, uh, grandson or granddaughter is dealing with this very thing. What are some of the first steps that older people, be it a grandfather or even a parent, what are some of the first steps that you recommend to parents and grandparents? I would say giving them some opportunities to do things offline so that they're not engaging the brain wavelengths that are overstimulated with online activity is a great start, but also getting them with you to give them genuine approval and esteeming experiences for who they are, not just what they do, and helping them to get that wonderful sense of inspiration and encouragement in God's creation, in nature, in volunteerism, in serving. Those are all really great ways for them to build back serotonin and dopamine and also become who God has called them to be. Now, you've mentioned two things right there that I've, I love it that you use that kind of language. Because growing up, obviously, as a young person, in the 50s and 60s, man, we, we, didn't, we barely had TV. We didn't have screens of any of what they have today. And our entire days, Tina, would have been spent outdoors. I mean, my mom and dad would leave us with my, with my grandparents, and they had a bell in their backyard. It was an old dinner bell from Kentucky. And we had to stay within earshot of that dinner bell. But we were free to go anywhere around the whole neighborhood, and and we trained our ears to listen for that dinner bell. When that thing rang, we knew we had to get running. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of a hard—I'm sure a lot of parents who hear that, parents of kids today, they would think that is as foreign as some alien coming in from Mars. That's that's got to be weird to them, right? Yeah, because kids are not feeling as free or as safe. Yeah. run around unsupervised as they once did. In fact, we know more about the predators that are out there looking for the kids that are unsupervised than we used to. So we realize there is a little danger factor in just letting your kids go free range. However, there are opportunities where you can take your kids out to national forests, to parks and engage them in activities that are going to be healthy for their brains and healthy for their interactions. Now, that's a beautiful first step, isn't it, to do a planned trip to one of the national parks, even a state park, 
and maybe in the summertime in, in Florida, obviously you lived in the Ocala area. There are incredible areas where you can go in Ocala, uh, the springs areas and some of the great natural uh, water sp- spots that are there. Uh, there, there's something that uh, you mentioned, dopamine and and, and that uh, sense of feeling the rush come over your body where you are are having a natural high. That's something that we we understood. We didn't know those terms. We didn't understand what it was to have that kind of a rush, a physical rush of just joy and and fun from doing something like playing in the outdoors or splashing in water. But taking a kid to the outdoors, it opens up a whole plethora of, of activities that they're not going to see no matter how sophisticated their games are on, on their phones. They're not going to see it unless they're there in nature. That's right. And in the summertime in central Florida, it might be better to go to one of the natural springs or a river because it does get incredibly hot in the summertime. Yeah, absolutely. In the national forest. But you can get in touch with the creator by being in creation. There's also a lot of opportunity to stretch kids' faith and help them to understand God better that way. I agree completely. And, uh, you know, that is something that parents and grandparents can do. Look for those opportunities. Up when I lived in Gainesville, my daughter was the one that introduced us to something that a place that we saw all the time, but we'd never bothered to go into it. And all of my Gainesville peeps up there are going to know exactly what I'm saying. It was Payne's Prairie. It was this gigantic area. It's like a low spot for went on for miles and a lot of uh, natural, uh, it was like a big, just desolate area where a lot of wild animals, including wild horses, bison, alligators out the window. And they have walking trails where you can walk and you see these things. You can come up onto a pack of wild horses. And it's just, it's exhilaratingly cool. And so I, I'm not saying that, you know, that's everyone's cup of tea. But boy, oh boy, that is something that will get your mind off of uh, of the cell phone and, and all of the stuff that's going on. Now, one of the things that you had mentioned uh, earlier about isolation, I want to talk about when we come up here in our next segment, and that is the subject of loneliness. You know, Tina, we, these kids are so connected. They've got thousands of friends on Facebook, and yet we live in one of the most lonely times for young people ever. I want to talk about that and, and get your top ways to battle loneliness Uh, for these young people. When we return, this is Afternoons with Mike. My guest today is Tina Yeager, and I'll be right back. If you're a Christian business person and you want to meet people who want to do business with you, you need to join the Central Florida Christian Chamber of Commerce. Why? Because the mission of the Christian Chamber is to build kingdom, business, and community. And it all starts with the Christian principle of building relationships. To learn more about the Christian Chamber and all the different ways you can get engaged with hundreds of other Central Florida Christian business people, visit cfchristianchamber.com or call 407-258-3570. Tina Yeager is my guest today. She's an author, a speaker. And one thing that I I did notice with your name, you've got those letters behind your name. You're also a therapist. So you've gone through some schooling, got yourself certified in some way, right? Yes, I'm licensed in Florida. I'm not using the license right now because I live in North Carolina, but I keep my license current there in Florida as a mental health counselor. 
Yeah. Now that again, you're tapping into something that was near and dear, very close and personal to your life, this whole thing of mental health. And and I wanted to talk about that, the whole thing that can happen to young people's mental health when they are finding themselves uh, lonely, when they're, when they, uh, you know, I don't know that it's always immediately perceived by these young people that that is their problem. But loneliness is something that creeps in and it can take up residence in one's heart and mind long before they are really aware that that is the issue. Wouldn't you agree? Man should not be alone, right? That's what Genesis said. It was (laughs) one thing in creation that God said was not good was for man to be alone. We were not created for isolation. We were created as relational beings in the image of a relational being. So we're working and operating and functioning outside of our design when we are in isolation. Yeah, that's right. And there is the the benefit I mentioned in the other segment about human touch. When young people have even what could be, and we know that not all relationships go just like an ivory tower. It, it doesn't. Uh, there's a lot of times even our best friends can hurt. But the Bible has a phrase that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so even even when a friend is able to bring something that is painful to our heart. And in the end, the Bible says that's going to be faithful. There's going to be something good. I think we learn a lot of life lessons as we walk out these kinds of interactions with people. And that never happens when the only contact we have with people is through that screen. We were not meant to be in isolation or behind a screen. And so kids, when they're interacting with other kids through screens, they're not getting the same kind of neurological benefit or spiritual connection that they get when they are in person with people up close. So we all need those in-person relationships, and that's why kids are experiencing this rise in loneliness and despair. If you even look at the prison systems, what is the worst punishment that they give to the inmates when they have been on their worst behavior? Oh, they put them in isolation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that just causes them to go stir crazy, and sometimes people that you know that they they do they they kind of lose it all there they they just go out and sadly some have committed suicide while they're in that isolation so no doubt about it loneliness is not a good thing it's got to be something that is parents even grandparents when we see signs telltale signs of loneliness and maybe expressed uh, just i don't know expressed pain Uh, through the fact that they have no one in their life, that should be a call to action on our parts. That's absolutely true. And there are some things that we can do as parents and grandparents to help our kids get connected. And the biggest thing that you can do to help encourage your kids to pull out of loneliness is service. If you can find somebody who is also alone and in need and needs your help and minister to them, that will be the easiest, 
quickest and most effective way of overcoming the impact of loneliness. Oh, I love that service. And it's something that when you get busy helping somebody else, there's this natural thing of forgetting what's going on that you don't like in your own life. And that is a, a great way self to become selfless. You're not so focused on just what's going on at heart level anymore, but you're busy helping somebody else. That's a great step. And again, that would be one of the ways that I think people can get involved, you know, whether it's a, you know something that we hear about often at holidays, uh, families going out, serving in an outreach like a food um, center for the poor, or maybe a soup line or whatever, and taking your kids along and just doing something. And, and there's something about seeing people who are not as well off as you are and and that it wakes you up, wakes these kids up to realize, hey, life is not so bad. I've got some things going on and it can produce a sense of gratefulness that they wouldn't have otherwise. Now, another thing you do is that you work to remove what you termed as sabotaging labels. Tell me about that. Well, we all call ourselves something in our own heads, whether you're aware that you're doing it or not. So when you have labels that give you a sense of identity that is misplaced or even accusatory or shaming, those things affect how you interact with other people and whether or not you're fulfilling your purpose in any given moment. So for example, when you make a mistake, what's the first thing that you attribute to yourself for making that mistake? Do you recognize that it was a mistake that you're going to do better next time? Or do you say something in your mind or out loud along the lines of, I'm so stupid. I always mess up. Mm -hmm. I never get this right. Those are the kinds of labels that are not aligned with what God says about you. They come from the enemy, and you're aligning yourself with the way the accuser wants you to be seen by yourself and others instead of with the way that God has defined you with the identity that he has given you. So this would be something else that parents can look for when their kids are using self-deprecating language. That's, that's a warning sign, isn't it? It is, and we can help them reverse that and exchange that for true labels about what God says and what is true about who they are in Christ. Now, you use the term sabotage, and I think that's a very strong word and a very effective word in this, because sometimes these plans of the enemy, they really do have the ability the power, they're so strong in some of these kids that they can literally undo some of the other good forces. I think a lot of parents, they get discouraged because they think, well, I, I wasn't, it's not like I was doing nothing right. It wasn't like I wasn't working hard at getting my, my kids' attention, but they did not realize, or maybe they underplayed the strength that some of these things that the kids were involved in had the ability to sabotage those efforts. And that happens too, doesn't it? It does. And it's really important as parents that you don't label yourself as a failure because your kids are suffering. That can get in the way of helping the enemy instead of furthering the cause of Christ when it comes to your child. So make sure that the accuser is not putting you in a place of shame and blame when it comes to what your kids are doing right or doing wrong or suffering with or struggling through. Make sure that you're always seeing that God is present, that his hope is always there, and that he has the power 
to help bring healing to your child. And look at it from a strength-based, solution-focused mindset. That's very good, Tina. Now, you mentioned every believer should have hope. But one thing that we've seen today, and it's actually uh, maybe the upper stages of loneliness, the upper stages of when people are called names and maybe ostracized from their peers, uh, then that leads them to what they would feel as being a hopeless state. And sadly, then, depression can set in. Now, depression is one of those buzzwords that was, I think, around even before the current terminology of mental health became as prevalent as it is today. People who get depressed, what are your first thoughts? What are your first recommendations to fight depression? depends on the level that person is experiencing, whether it's a crisis and you need immediate intervention and a crisis solution to come and address that issue. If there is a risk of suicide, obviously you need to get help immediately and contact an emergency situation. And you always want to assess for that when you're a parent, a grandparent, a friend, a neighbor, a community member, or in ministry. Don't be afraid to ask the question, Are you thinking of hurting yourself? Have you had thoughts of suicide? Have you made a plan to actually harm yourself or commit suicide? If that person is not already doing and thinking and planning those things, you're not going to give them that idea by asking that question. It is a very important question to ask, and most people are afraid to ask that question. I agree. In fact, I was having a conversation recently with another leader who suggested not only asking one question, but making sure that we ask the second and the third questions. Because sometimes people will answer us differently if we keep digging. But if we just take their first response, we're not always going to get the real truth. Would you agree? That's true. If someone is not wanting help, if they are already intent on committing suicide, they may not want to tell you because you'll want to stop them. So you need to continue to pry and ask questions until you get at what they're really feeling. And you can assess that if you're really tuning in, if you're asking those questions, wanting an answer, instead of just asking a question and passing. That's why sitting somebody down in a place where you have their full attention, the phones are down, You're really focused on each other's eye contact, on your body language, and you're tuning in with your full attention to that person. Mm -hmm. That's where you have those conversations. And that it's where the real rubber hits the road is when you can have that level of of connection. Because at that point, once you've done that, I believe that parents and even friends can overcome the hurdles that isolation has built into that person, the, the person that's suffering, and can really maybe for the first time in a long time open up and begin to talk. And there's a catharsis that happens when a young person begins to spill what's really going on at heart level, and they, they can really start to feel hope again when those walls are broken down. And I'm convinced that until we get hope introduced into the picture, then it's a tough wall to batter up against. We can always be 
the agent of hope that someone needs in any given moment. If that's what Christ has ordained for you to do in that moment, you can be Jesus with skin on in that moment and show up there. Mm. Just remember that you are not ultimately the Savior, and don't put that pressure on yourself to be the one that has to save their life. So being the agent of change through which Christ works, being someone who shows up to present Jesus with skin on by having him dwell in you is different than expecting you have to be the one to save that person's life. That's really important for parents and grandparents to understand that the full work has to be done between Christ himself and that person's heart. However, you can be part of the process and don't deny the opportunity to show up and be there and let Jesus do the rest of the work. You know, I, I'm reminded with your phrases, Jesus with skin on. I mean, that's really well said. We know that that's not meant to be in any other way than just saying that you are a human vessel of the Lord to help that person. David Will, a singer with the Imperials, had a song years ago and it, uh, it had the line, you're the only Jesus that some will ever see. And I think that's really true. I think that God uses us. And, and that's something that I think a lot of people, a lot of parents, they forget the fact that God has en- enabled and equipped them to be that kid's parents. You know, I find that when I've talked with a lot of parents of troubled kids who are going through some of these emotional problems that you're describing, a lot of parents feel they are not qualified any longer as that kid's parents. But that's crazy, isn't it? They are that kid's parents and not by accident. God called them to be it. So we as adults cannot give up on that role, right? And we don't have to do it alone. We can call for professional support. When your kids are going through severe mental health issues, you shouldn't try to do this on your own. You are that kid's parent because God called you to be, but he has not called you to do this in isolation. He will give you a team of people, of supportive professionals, of Christian mental health counselors and coaches and ministry professionals to help you through that hardship of responding properly to a child who is struggling emotionally. Now, we've talked a lot about these kids who are struggling emotionally. What about parents? Do you do any counseling of moms and dads who are going through maybe some of the same kind of depression? I'm so glad that you brought that up, Mike, because parents often forget to take care of themselves, and they need support too. So yes, it's very important for parents to reach out to life coaches, mental health counselors, and ministry professionals for their own needs so that they aren't drained and trying to respond to their children from a place of empty. You know, I think that's true about Uh, every adult, not just those who might be thinking, I don't know enough, or I'm not smart enough, or I'm not as connected with my kid enough. But I I believe every level of teachers, pastors, we all need to have people in our lives who are caring for our souls as well. And that's something that we've just got to realize that no man is an island, that we've heard that phrase, but it's true. We're not an island unto ourselves. We need each other as much as these kids and as much as uh, the, the problems that they face. 
Adults need help too. So let's all remember that. We've got just a minute to go before a break. Tina, tell me about significance. You're a person again that grew up with a good measure of support. You knew about the Lord. You knew about this, but you were also fighting a fight for significance at school and sometimes losing that fight. So what can, what can we do to bolster that kid's sense of significance? We need to make sure that we're not putting our foundation of significance in our achievements, in our appearance, in our wealth, in our social status, or any of the things that will crumble like shifting sand beneath our building of ourselves. We need to make sure that our significance can only come from Jesus. That's the only strong foundation. I am who he says I am. If I try to base who I am and my worth and my significance on any other thing, it will crumble. And that's where I got a little off center for quite a while, and it started to crumble beneath me. And I can recognize when other people do that, they experience the same kind of crumbling. But the good news is, God is there for restoration and upcycling our lives to make us new and better than before. Now, you've just mentioned the thing for my last segment because you've written something great, and it is all about upcycling, and that's what we're going to get into. I think you folks are going to really enjoy some of her thoughts. My guest today, Tina Yeager, and she is a licensed mental health counselor. She writes, and I think you're going to enjoy this next little bit. We'll be back with Tina in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Join host Mike Gilland for The Shepherd at Work every Saturday morning at 10.05 a.m. You will be introduced to a marketplace leader that will help you learn to walk out your faith wherever you live and work. The Shepherd at Work is sponsored by the Central Florida Christian Chamber, building kingdom, business, and community throughout our area. That's The Shepherd at Work this Saturday morning at 10.05 a.m. Tina Yeager is my guest today on Afternoons with Mike. Happy to have you along with us. And uh, Tina has uh, written a book that is uh, all about upcycling. And, you know, even the the graphics that are there might be uh, misleading a little bit, but not far from the truth, because it's not only a book that teaches us how to upcycle our emotional well-being, our life. But there is a very physical, crafty side to the whole book as well. And so I could say this is like an all-body experience, right? Yes, we learn more by doing. So that was by design. I also wanted people to gather back together in groups. When we were isolated, we sort of got comfortable with that. So we saw a decline in people attending Bible study groups for some time. So these crafts are also meant to be able to gather people who might not be comfortable attending a group and talking about a message and exploring personal development to center that discussion on something we're doing can make that process a little easier. Mm -hmm. Now, upcycling, what uh, caused that uh, term to kind of come front and center for you? One of my favorite things to see and do are those 
things that you see in the antique malls, in the craft centers where someone's taken an old vintage item or basically what we would otherwise call a piece of junk to be thrown away. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you've upcycled it into something more beautiful than you would have ever imagined. When I was taking a walk with the Lord one day, I wanted to know how I could help get people back into a place where they could gather and find hope again for their lives. Because as we mentioned before, we're seeing an increase in anxiety and despair in the world around us, and people aren't accessing the help and the community that they need. And this is the image cycle that the Lord was bringing to mind, where all of these old things that I love to see repurposed, and that's what He does for us. So that's where the upcycling concept came from. Oh, that's beautiful. And it's well said, because we we all have those things. And I think your metaphor of uh, something that one person may call junk, another person who has the time and wants to take the time to invest in that uh, re- restoration project, that's really what it is, isn't it? And you're using this as a metaphor to say that our lives is broken down. Maybe a lot of people feel that we're junkie ourselves. We still have hope to be restored, to be upcycled. That's true. And the other thing that an artist really needs is to have a vision. And God, as the master artist, has a greater vision than any human being possibly could about our potential. So he sees beyond what we see ourselves, what anyone else around us might see, to what he can make from us. Gideon is a great example of that. When the Lord came to meet Gideon in that wine press, in that pit where he was hiding, he called him a mighty warrior, which is not how Gideon (laughs) saw himself and certainly not how anyone around him saw Gideon. But God sees what we can become, not just where we've been or where we are right now. And that is such a different thing, isn't it? The world judges us based on their own criteria. Uh, They don't judge us ever on the basis of what might happen in our lives or the good that is there that is just waiting to spring forward in maturity. The world will just chew us up and spit us out. But uh, you're saying something that is so incredibly helpful. And again, going back to the craft side of this, there is a physical way to express what people are learning in each and every chapter. That's got to be unique among a lot of books. I, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody do quite what you're doing. So tell about some of these crafts and what is actually, what can be made. One of the first chapters is about us serving together and in our own spiritual journey as a mosaic of all these broken pieces that God pulls together and fills between all the brokenness, the fullness of his Holy Spirit to make into something beautiful. And the craft that I use to illustrate that is a mosaic mirror of broken pieces surrounding a mirror, and you can donate that project when you finish it as a group or an individual to someone else who needs to see themselves as part of God's masterpiece work in the midst of our brokenness, and perhaps even sometimes from the brokenness, he makes that message even more beautiful and more powerful than it would have been without the brokenness ever happening. What is it, Tina, about doing a craft like that? It's more than just a mere metaphor. What is it about it that really brings home 
and solidifies the lessons learned by doing that when craft? We, when we do something with our hands, we remember it. So it goes to a deeper level of our consciousness and our memory and our connection with that message. And then when we share it, that actually makes us remember it and resonate with it more. So when you donate that craft and share it with somebody else, you're more likely to live out the meaning of that message. Wow. That's really a great payday, isn't it? It doubles and triples the meaning and impact of each chapter's message. And the the beautiful thing that you write in this book is that doing all of these things enables you to discover new ways of thinking, new ways of doing something to help other people. And it can really just give a real lift to a person's heart that has otherwise been maybe just focused on how bad they were or how sad they are and get them thinking on positive directions and helping other people. And what a difference that is. When we're living out the purposes of God, it's fulfilling who we were meant to be. So it's going to boost us and connect us with life. God is our source of life and well-being. When we connect with him and allow him to pour through us, it changes us. Now, the the whole time that you brought up all ago, when you said when we were locked down, when we were kind of shut down, of course, that's referring to the COVID lockdown and that horrible year, which we were all, I was so looking forward to the year 2020 for the obvious cliche reasons of thinking this is going to be a year of perfect vision and maybe restored vision. We're going to see things through the lens of 2020. We had no idea, man. You talk about being sabotaged. We were, we were sabotaged in that year, but the effects of COVID, the effects of those masks, the effects of lockdown and isolation I don't think it's going to be worked out anytime soon. I think there are some long-range things that we're probably still feeling the ramifications on. Yes, there's something about not seeing someone's full face that changes how you interact. So the masks, even that, especially for children, being able to learn their social skills and interact with one another, that's going to have a long-term impact as well. Separating kids from one another during the developmental stages when they need to develop social skills, that's going to be something we need to repair. But instead of becoming focused on the problem, remembering that God created the church and our fellowship communities as the solution, we have an opportunity in this problem of restoration to reach out to people and be that resource, be the place where they can find hope and healing and offer that with a hopeful perspective, not a not a despairing perspective. The world wants us to be afraid and to worry. Instead of worrying, we need to be in worship and thankful for what God is doing and can do and will do if we follow in line with his purpose. That's beautifully said. Tina Yeager, my guest today, if you've just tuned in, uh, was a part of Central Florida for a number of years uh, and then moved, for whatever reason, <laughs> to <laughs> Charlotte, North Carolina. I don't know what it is. There's a lot of Floridians have a connection with the uh, mountains of North Carolina. And so you're not you're not really in the mountain region in Charlotte, but there's a lot of beautiful areas up there. 
Yes, they call this the halfback state. When people go to Florida, they're snowbirds, and they sometimes move halfway back to the north <laughs> and call this the halfback place here in North Carolina. So that's what we refer to as the, the place where a lot of Floridians or former Yankees, I guess as we would yeah, call them yeah. in Florida, would move partway back. So do you like that area? How long have you been back there? We moved here in the middle of the pandemic in 2020 because God said, I'm moving you. And I said, okay, where? And he showed me on the map this place where I didn't know anyone, and I didn't know why we were moving there. At the time, there were no job prospects, but we put our house on the market, and we decided to drive up and look at the area. And on the way in the car to come look at this area of North Carolina where God was leading us, we got an opportunity for a job that I filled out on my phone, the job application for my husband, in the car, and he got the job opportunity on our way driving out of town. Yeah, that is amazing. The provision of the Lord, that is so great. And uh, your your husband obviously was one who was willing to listen to some of the thoughts that God was speaking to your heart as well. So kudos to him, huh? Yes, and we love it here that we're close enough to drive to the mountains, but not in the mountains where we have ice and snow issues. We're close to the lake, so we can go enjoy the lake. It's just a wonderful area. We have mountains here that aren't just anthills. In Florida, the highest thing that we could expect were the anthills. That's right. So we're happy to make that switch. (laughs) And the lake you're referring to is Lake Norman, and that is just a magnificent Lake. I mean, it is uh, really home for so many water sports, and I know that people have boats there, and those that are fortunate enough to live on that lake, I mean, it is just like a never-ending source for fun and recreation. Yes, my husband's enjoying having a little John boat so that he can go out and bass fish on the lake. Oh my goodness. You're talking now for some fun there. That's great. Well, you've, uh, you've given us so much to think about today, Tina. Uh, tell us how we can get in touch with the book that you've written, the upscale book, or any of the other materials that you've developed. Well, you can find everything on my website at tinayeager.com, and that's spelled Y-E-A-G-E-R, Upcycled, Crafted for a Purpose, and my previous book, Beautiful Warrior, Finding Victory Over the Lies Formed Against You, are both available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. And Yeager, spelled Y-E-A-G-E-R, And you're also a podcaster, and we mentioned this, you also have a radio show. How can people find the podcast? They can find the podcast on my website or in any audio platform, and it's Flourishment, M-E-A-N-T, How to Live the Life You Were Meant to and Flourish. Flourish Today is on Christian Mix 106. If you're in Delaware, you can access the physical radio station, but otherwise go to ChristianMix106.com. And I also have a YouTube channel, so if you look for Tina Yeager, Y-E-A-G-E-R, on YouTube, you'll find the podcast and other devotional videos and life coaching videos there as well. You know, that YouTube is like the uh, Great Wild West with what it has on it. I don't think there's too many limitations, but that sounds exciting for what you're doing. And you're making all of this great uh, information 
this great teaching material available through these means. And I can't tell you how informative I believe this program has been and the amount of parents and grandparents that maybe you've helped today will never know this side of heaven. But thank you for sharing and thank you for living the life that you're living, Tina, and and making it available to the rest of us. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity. If anybody's interested in life coaching or speaking, I'm also available for that, too. But I appreciate your ministry to so many, and I pray that the Lord will continue to bless that. Well, thank you for that. And I look forward to seeing you in Nashville at the NRB. You're going to be there. I'll be there. And that's going to be a great gathering for Uh, all of the believers in the country. I'm just excited about this year. Tina Yeager, my guest, will be back with her sometime in the future. And uh, friends, thank you for being with us today. We'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. (laughs) 